0: In order to get a sustainable American constitutive story, we need to first get exposed to the the largest number of American
1: constitutive stories. What do Americans think about each other, themselves? How does this then affect how they think about democracy?
0: Andrew and I are colleagues here in the political science department at George Washington University. I'm Harris Milonas. I'm an associate professor of political science studying nationalism and nation
1: building. I'm Andrew Thompson. I am uh, assistant professor of uh, political science here at GW.
2: Being American is having an American experience. To me, I think that that's an American hero. That's someone that is investing in uh, the education of young people that cares about the course that America is on and is investing her time and, and energy into hopefully making the country better. That's the least common denominator to start, which is that we're both very unsure of the way that we want to go. And the way to do that is to communicate and to be open and to, you know, have that good faith listening.
0: We're really happy to have Arielle Geismar with us today. Thank you for coming to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Arielle is a content creator a mental health advocate, a digital strategist, and a leader in digital wellness. And more importantly, from our perspective, she's a student at George Washington University, and uh, we're, we're happy to have her share her ideas with us. Ariel, do you want to say a few things about how your work may relate to our podcast?
2: Sure, happy to. Well, first, thanks thanks so much for having me on today. I have experience with uh, student organizing work as well as work in um, ethical technology. While I was in high school, uh, I became extremely involved with the gun violence prevention movement. Um, So I was a student organizer, leading student walkouts, talking to elected officials That was particularly within my my home area of New York City, but as time went on, I became more and more active within um, social justice spaces, moving into mental health work, women's rights, and LGBTQ plus rights, among some other things. And that got to the point where I was talking about my organizing work online on social media, and that started to garner some attention, right? So people started to listen to what I was saying, pay attention. I would log on to Instagram and say... Everyone, I'm on Capitol Hill today. This is what I'm lobbying for, mm. and so I ended up taking a, a gap year after high school before college to work full time on Capitol Hill to lobby for what I believe to be young people's interests. So, gun violence prevention, mental health advocacy, and the like.
0: We usually start this podcast by asking, in your opinion, what does it take to be a member of the core group in America broadly defined? Yeah. So, the, the people who uh, have a stake or will be being, being included. Mm. So, what do you see? Some of those. Um, qualities or or characteristics or um, values that may, may constitute that?
2: I think to start off to be a member of the core group of America, it's important to acknowledge that there is no core group. I think the idealized version of our country is that you don't have to belong to a core group. You don't mm-hmm. have to belong to any particular group. You can come as you are. I don't think that that's been the American reality, though. I think for me, it feels like Having a personal investment in the country's future and success, mm. I think it means to to care enough to be doing work or to be devoting yourself into things that you think will further the country. And that is my original thought. And then I kind of take a step back and I think about our country's history. And then I'm not so sure that to be in the core group of America, you actually have to have a personal investment in America. Because I think about the way that this country has treated so many individuals, the way that this country has marginalized so many individuals, and I think it would be fair to say that maybe some of those people don't have an investment in America's future, but that doesn't mean that they're not still part of the core group.
1: Are you saying, are are you kind of articulating that, like, in your perspective, there is an idealized sort of version of like, let's just say, like, really abstract qualities and whatever mm-hmm. else. And then at the same time, but what you're also saying is that even if this is an ideal, and even if this is something that people might be in a positive way striving for historically, that's not in practice what things have looked like.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I would definitely say that the ideal is different than the historical. I think the ideal, you know, what I was taught when I was in elementary and middle yeah. school, right, was this country was founded on freedom and justice and independence and these qualities that on paper sound very good and, and in reality are very good. Yeah. And I don't feel, you know, in my 21 years in this country so far, I don't feel as though those qualities have been represented by American leaders and by American society. Yeah. And so when you ask who the core group is, <laughs> I I have this question of, well, is the core group just regular citizens yeah. or is the core group the people who are decision makers in the country? Because mm-hmm. our decision makers are supposed to represent us, right? Right. But if they're not representing us properly, then would they be considered core? Mm -hmm. Or if, you know, you're a regular citizen, but you don't have any investment in, let's say, American politics, would you be considered core? Mm -hmm. Because I I think being part of the core, at least in this conversation right now, is we're equating being part of the core group with being a part of American politics, Mm -hmm. which what I'm trying to say is it's fair if people are a little bit turned off to American politics right now. I think the past decade has really shown many reasons to be, uh, to be turned off to American politics.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good moment to turn into a question. Who is an American hero for you and why? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I would definitely name my grandmother. A little bit about uh, her history is that she was born in Germany and is a a Holocaust survivor. Mm. So she was on the St. Louis, um, which is a boat that was notoriously turned away from many different countries. Mm. It it set sail from Germany to Cuba, to the United States, to Canada, and was rejected at at all of them. The boat was going to be returned back to Germany uh, when some European countries accepted them in, uh, those countries being the United Kingdom, Belgium, the Netherlands, and France. Mm of those the UK was the only one that was not invaded. My grandmother was 4 years old and waited until their quota numbers were called to come to the US. And I think about her story a lot in the sense that she was quite literally on the shores of Florida as the Holocaust was just starting yeah. as a 4-year-old Jewish girl and the United States did not accept her. And at some point, you know, she came to the US. Mm-hmm. She settled in New York City, built a family, and I think for me that is something that's really powerful. I think it shows a lot of strength to be able to, to have that story and then to come to the U.S. to, to care about the country, mm-hmm. right? I talked to her about politics, what's going on in the U.S. all the time. Um, she's invested in the U.S. She's invested in this country that, quite frankly, when I was growing up, I didn't quite understand. It was like they the U.S. didn't let you in. Why would you have any investment yeah. in this country? Why would you not be resentful? Why would you not be angry? Why would you not go somewhere else? And so when I think about American heroes, I I very much think of her um, in the sense that I believe she has a commitment to the country. You know, she worked as a librarian for, for years and devoted herself to education in the U.S. And I think that that is something really powerful. And now, as, as an older woman, she goes around telling her story, talking about the the Holocaust and goes to different universities and schools. And it's a major part of education. And to me, I think that that's an American hero. That's someone that is investing in uh, the education of young people that cares about the course that America is on and is investing her time and and energy into hopefully making the country better.
0: Do you know what age she makes it to
2: New York? I think it's only one or two years later.
0: To what extent do you think the fact that somebody who has been turned down Mm -hmm. by the U.S. and regardless perseveres and not only perseveres, dedicates her life basically to the betterment of this country. Mm -hmm. That's how I understood it. How do you see that as an important element of of the heroism in it,
2: yeah, I think that's definitely a large part of it. When I think about her experience growing up, I very much felt disconnected. I was like, "This country turned you away. Why? Why would you not be resentful?" And I think she saw it a very different light, which was, "I was turned away. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to educate within." And I think that, to me, is very powerful. I don't think that that's necessarily a standard that everyone should should have to live up to, right? If you know if she was turned away and said i want nothing to do with that country that would also be yeah, very fair very but i think for me yeah a lot of the part that i see her as a hero is she decides to invest uh, regardless i also think that when we talk about the american hero it's very easy to talk about the people who are on the front page mm-hmm. but i think of what's going on right now i i think public school teachers are american heroes people who are nurses who are doctors over covid who got little to no recognition are American heroes. I think that it's the people who are who are keeping our society functioning, mm-hmm. particularly when our society is not treating them well. There's a lot of power in deciding that you are going to make institutional change regardless of what the institution is saying that they want to keep as the status quo.
1: Yeah. It's really great the way that you put the, the American heroes as being those who are basically getting minimal to no recognition yeah. because again, recognition, to use the social science term here might like confound what people are even doing when it comes to like how they're operating because what that what that basically would mean is like they may be doing it in part out of the fact that they are getting recognition, like an outward recognition, which is going to muddy the waters of like who who actually is a hero or who's doing something that's heroic.
0: And in a way, I think within your answer about who's a hero, I think we may be getting closer to your definition of what it means to be an American.
2: Yeah, I I would definitely connect the two. When when she decided to invest herself fully, I think she set an example for me about what it means to invest in something greater than yourself, Mm -hmm. which is, to me, what I I hope is what it means to be an American. Mm -hmm. I think, kind of going back to our idealized conversation, the ideal is investing in freedom and education and power and lifting each other up. The ideal, and I put ideal in, in air quotes, of our country is that you can come to the United States and and do what you want and love for you love and pray the way that you pray and have that freedom and have that liberty. And I think doing that work despite... The ways in which this country has not lived up to its mm-hmm. ideal i think is quintessentially american yeah i think it is a very common american story that you know, we could walk outside right now and talk to many different students and i think that america has failed them in numerous ways and i still think that there's power in deciding to invest yourself mm-hmm. in Despite the betterment that. of the country yeah. exactly mm-hmm.
1: do you think that um that needs to be like a deeply held belief uh, when it comes to, to like be people who would be expressive of being American, because I'll give you basically like a counter example. There are people who don't actually invest and say, America is not something that I wanna opt into. I don't like it. I have a problem with it, but yet by just virtue of what they're doing, there's like a tacit support that they're giving. So they just exist here. They do things to contribute in a positive way to, to American society while still maintaining like a negative orientation. Does that also fit into the context of like, for you, what it means to be an American?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's exactly what I was trying to articulate yeah. with my answer to the first question, yeah. which is, what does it mean to be a member of the core group? Got it. Yeah. My answer was, you have to have buy-in, but I think to, you can still be in the core group without that buy-in, yeah. because I think just as we've talked about you know, the inspiration, the way that people have kind of risen above uh, the injustices in this country, there are just as many, if not more examples of... People who are very justified in saying, you know what? I I don't believe in this anymore. I don't think in my lifetime we'll get that ideal. And I don't have that buy-in. If someone decided to leave, I would also consider them part of the American court group because that's their American experience. Being American is having an American experience. And it doesn't matter what that is. It could be that there are almost kind of four planes. It could be that you don't feel that this country has lived up to its ideal and you decide to stay. You don't feel that this country has lived up to its ideal and you decide to leave. You do feel that this country has lived up to its ideal and you don't really do anything to improve it. Or you do feel that this country has lived up to its ideal and you still think it can be better and you work to improve it. And so in those kind of four categories, I would still constitute all of those as American. Although I would be critical of the one that says this country has lived up to its ideal and I don't have to do anything. Yeah,
1: for sure. Of the the two by two, like that would be, in one way or another, kind of the least American in the sense oh, of it. Yeah, the least American of, of all of them. Whereas the rest seem that they're they're tapping into something. I'm
0: wondering, the decided to leave. What does it mean? Leave the country or leave? That's what I was the saying. Of like leave not participate, like, be apathetic? Because leave could mean different things. Mm-hmm.
2: I th- I think it's both. I think it's like a metaphorical leave of recusing yourself of any political responsibility, yeah. not voting anymore. Or, or actually, physically leaving.
1: Okay, I was reminded of um, when you were talking about like leaving, but still, but still being American, but also like even even maintaining like a sense of Americanness. I was thinking of James Baldwin leaving and going to to Paris, yeah. and basically talking about like the better treatment that he experienced there, but all the while still having this this like feeling and orientation. <laughs> of, yeah, for the like, he was basically like, yeah, I'm American in and of yeah. in, in and of myself.
2: And yeah. and I would even argue that let's say someone that leaves America goes to a different country let's say they renounce their citizenship they they never want to think of the country again I would still consider them American and part of the the American core group, right right, because of their experience.
0: In other words you're saying anyone who can help us learn better about what this thing called America is and could help us improve it should be considered an American just because they have enough of an experience to help us understand it and maybe hopefully improve it right Mm. that's kind of how I see it what you're
2: saying. Exactly. Right. Because someone being dissatisfied with America and leaving is still part of an American experience. Mm-hmm. It's their American experience. I can kind of relate this to a, a story from my um, organizing experience. So I was in high school, I was around 16 or 17, and I was doing uh, gun violence prevention work. Right. So I was leading student walkouts, talking to different media. Yeah. And I traveled sometimes. I went to Washington, D.C., I went to other states to to do gun violence prevention work and to talk about what this country and its, its issues with guns has. And I received a lot of comments, both on social media, also to my face that, oh, you know, the, the students that are in gun violence prevention, they're anti-American. Mm-hmm. They don't believe in the constitution. Mm-hmm. They're going against everything, everything that we stand for. And that always bothered me because I think a lot of the things that my friends and I would talk about who are in this organizing work is, no, actually, we're doing this work because we care. We're trying to get these laws passed around but weapons of mass destruction because because we care, mm-hmm. because we don't want automatic weapons in our schools, because we we are envisioning something greater.
1: Did you and, articulate that to those people? Like, is, is, Did you kind of like lead with that as like a counter argument?
2: Yeah, I, I did. It gets at a larger problem, though, which is, I think there are some times within America that people say, you disagree with me, therefore you are less American than I am. Yeah.
0: In a way, what you described as your experience uh, when you were doing that um, work on gun violence, it sounds like you were experiencing the polarization firsthand. Yeah. Then the the obvious question is like to explore to what extent there could be a common, lowest common denominator. Yeah bringing people together rather than pulling them apart.
2: I think the most success I had in those scenarios mm-hmm. was trying to reason with, we both care, Yeah. right? Like we yeah. we both have an investment to make this better. Yeah. I think through a lot of my organizing work, mm-hmm. I have believed less and less that someone is anti-American because we are on different lines. And I hope that the people I have worked with that have disagreed with me have felt that way too. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, we can take the example that I was talking about earlier. I'm someone that wants to regulate automatic weapons. I meet someone who does not wanna regulate automatic weapons. They believe that that regulation infringes on their right. When you're having that conversation, I can't just go up and say, you're wrong. Because if if someone truly believes your policy is infringing on my right, that's a non-starter, right? There's no way that we can come together and make any kind of solution if that's where they're coming from. And so dissecting it issue by issue and saying, okay, this is why I think it, you know, this is why I don't think it infringes on your right. Mm-hmm. This is why I think it's a necessity for our country. This is why I think it will make our country better. Starting from those lines of reason, because the moment that we assume the other one is the anti-American, yep. it's, it's a non-starter.
0: So in a way, if i were to summarize with one liners or not even on one word your answer to what it means to be an american was ex- american experience mm-hmm. and your answer to the common lowest lowest common denominator it sounds like it would be engagement you think that as long uh, as we have engagement mm-hmm. even from completely diff- coming from completely different priors engagement is what could get things forward because um if you are willing to engage Mm -hmm. then even if you disagree viscerally that will still contribute to an american experience in a way i'm trying to link it back to your first answer
2: yes and when you were saying that just now for the second word i was scared that you were going to say american compromise which is not even what we're talking about we're not we're not talking about you have to compromise to be american we're just talking about minimal engagement yeah and I think in this case, no engagement is also engagement. Which... It's a
0: form of engagement. Exactly. Mm. In the spectrum of engagement, yeah. The lowest common denominator refers to the attitude yeah. rather than the content of the position. The one-liner is you cannot have a dialogue without doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's another super, way of summarizing super, what yeah. you said. That's it's good. like, if you don't have doubt, yeah. there is no way to engage. Yeah.
2: I think a lot of it is listening and then good faith listening yeah and and those are very different things right that i can i can listen to you and not really hear you and just kind of wait for my own turn to talk or i can actually try to understand where you're coming from
0: yep i have a question that is not on the usual questions Mm -hmm. list Mm -hmm. let's say and there is a lot of um a lot of discussion about to what extent a lot of the things we're seeing have to do with the pace of change in this country Mm -hmm. to what extent your generation fully understands, you know, my generation, or whether we understand your grandmother's generation. And exactly because you raised your grandmother as an example of an American hero for you, you may be a good person to ask, where do you see that intergenerational kind of lack of communication? Or how do you see that aspect of politics in the US playing out?
2: Yeah, so then I would say, no, of course, we don't understand each other. Of course, we're not able to understand what it was like for the other one to grow up. I would have, I can imagine, but I would have very little tangible um, attachment to the way that my grandmother grew up right now. I think my grandmother is also struggling with the way that I'm growing up right now. I think we're growing up in in very different worlds. I don't think that people of older generations in my experience have quite understood the struggles that Gen Z and Gen Alpha are going to endure and are going to experience. And I, I also think conversely, I don't know if Gen Z and Gen Alpha has been able to recognize that a lot of these previous generations have just not grappled with the issues the way that we have, because there's definitely some upset, right? Like, Why, why haven't you been grappling with all these issues that we've been talking about? I'm 21, climate change has been more than 21 years old. Why hasn't this been a focal issue for you? There's definitely some frustration from younger generations that I felt of, why is this all on us right now? And then there's some frustration from older generations, which is, why do you think you know everything? And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I've learned in my organizing work is that intergenerational organizing is absolutely the way to work on these issues. Mm -hmm. To learn from each other is probably one of the best things that we can do in this scenario. I know there's a massive disconnect.
1: What I work on a lot is how people think and process the future. And it's the future in the context of a racial demographic change is what I work in. And I've, I've just noticed that there's a lot of projecting of anxiety into the future. And a lot of it comes from like basically the fact that it's an unknown or the fact that there is like a lack of an understanding. And the projecting is some ability or an attempt to ground those anxieties about the future in a place of, of certain, like giving you certainty. And what I basically am like articulating within my, my book, the big flip racial demographic change in the future of American democracy is that these misperceptions, they they have like really serious direct outgrowths into like anti-democratic attitudes and, like support for political violence among a host of other things. And again, like a lot of this is like grounding. But I think the thing that as you're describing intergenerational communication and like basically trying to meet other people either where they're at or they're, there being some humility with engagement is... My mind is going back to Harris, what you mentioned earlier about doubt. And I think the doubt is what, what's jumping to mind for me for doubt is not knowing the acknowledgement and engagement of not knowing where the other person is coming from and not assuming that, you know, and inferring you need to engage in conversation in a, in a different sort of fashion. And what that's acknowledging is like, Oh, I don't know everything about the world, but at the same time, there is, I think an important dynamic to like, well, I'm going off the example you were giving of like, yes, there is information that is out there in the world, and we can collect and and better it, like we can become better processors of this info. We can better learn how the how America is changing and how let's like the climate change is a threat to just the 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 structure of American society. We can we can get into all of the discussion of the issue in a grounded way, but at the same time, it's like the problem. I think that the older generations are expressing within the example that you're giving is you are throwing out all of the either, let's say, issues that they have tackled over the span of their their lives that have not been related to climate change. The place of blaming of like, you didn't do this, is to assume that you know better for what other folks have done or have experienced in the course of their lives. And it's a lack of understanding of like exactly where people are coming from. But it's, like, it's just like a sense of humility is basically what I'm saying. It does seem that a lot of where we're going is like there's just a lot of uncertainty within the world. And that uncertainty tends to manifest in just like the fissuring of society among the, along the lines of like blaming other people or, or viewing them as or othering them in order to deal with those, those concerns of not knowing the world. or feeling like the country's changing at a, at a rate that's far too rapid relative to like what you've experienced.
2: Yeah, yeah, I th- I think what you're hitting at is a lot of intergenerational distrust. Yeah. Um. Right. Is that young people are not trusting older generations that they have been working on these issues, and in some instances they have been, and in some they haven't been. Yeah. And older generations are having a hard time trusting younger generations because of of age, right? Like you're yeah. so young, how would you know? Yeah. I know that you've read so much, but you know you, you weren't there. You don't understand how how it happened. Yeah. And even though that's a simplified way of putting it, what's so frustrating is that they are solutions to each other,
1: mm-hmm. basically. Right.
2: The solution to older generations feeling more secure and younger generations understanding of an issue is to educate them. Mm-hmm. And younger generations' capacity to understand historical issues yeah. is to find out from older generations. Yeah. And it's it's such a perfect match that it's almost impossible to see. Yeah. I think one of the cooler examples of this in my organizing work when I was still in in high school, I was doing work with this organization called Gays Against Guns. Mm. And, you know, these are queer folks in New York City that have been doing gun violence prevention for more years than I've been alive. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of hopped right into the movement. I started doing this work and then I got involved with them. I was like, wow, they have been working on this issue for so long. Yeah. You know, these are folks that have, you know, survived the, the HIV AIDS mm. epidemic. And so the ability to get knowledge from them to yeah. learn about organizing strategies i mean these are people that have really seen and understood queer movement building was was legend in my own experience and so i I think some of that ability to connect and to understand was incredibly valuable for me and um i'm sure it would be for others
1: who is it incumbent upon to like concede ground when it comes to like at least initially starting the conversation And to turn
0: it on its head and link it to Andrew's work, polarisation of partisanship makes it even less likely, people will say, I don't know, because they're very likely to just the bandwagon with some uh, idea or other of the capital D democratic and capital R republican position on a topic that they presume has been is well thought out in either way, right? Um, When it often is not as well thought out or it's not as... You know, set in stone as uh, we think, and some element of doubt should be always somewhere around, so that we can have engagement. So there is Mm -hmm. a minimum level of doubt that, uh, and and kind of humble humility or humbleness, if you want to put it that way, that would be useful to go closer to what you suggested. uh, In my understanding, to be kind of like a lowest common denominator, Mm -hmm. uh, being this sense of or or possibility for engagement.
2: Yeah, and and I think that that is a big problem. Is people just Co-opting talking points mm-hmm. and assuming that they know what they're talking about, um, because as we talk about that, you know that two by two, yeah. I would not consider that American engagement. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, yes, it is a form of engagement. Just like leaving is a form of engagement. Um. But I don't think it's the engagement that I would personally like to see. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I don't think it's something that's productive. I think the more that we're just parroting each other, um, the the least helpful it is. Yeah. Yeah. To wrap up, I think one of the things I'm leaving here today thinking about is ways to focus on distrust. Remember, you were talking about how you have to have doubt to have that conversation. And I think I'm imagining what it would look like to lean into the doubt and to say, I'm coming from a place of doubt. You're coming from a place of doubt. Um, That's something that we have in common. That's that's the least common denominator to start, Mm -hmm. which is that we're both very unsure of the way that we want to go. And the way to do that is to communicate and to be open and to you know have that good faith listening and to focus on the things that we that we do agree on and and also to know when it's when it's time to be loud about the things that you believe. I think that that's also very American, which is there are some points there are some issues that's like you know what like no this is what I believe and I can't stray from it morally and knowing when to do that versus knowing when to try to reengage in those conversations and, and iterate on your beliefs.
0: Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: It's been great.